Hey guys, gals, and non-binary pals, this is your host, Eric Lemos. Mansplain Yourself is a podcast that tries to answer the question, what does it mean to be a man? Each culture has its own concept of what is quote-unquote masculine, and whether we acknowledge it or not, patriarchy, or some variation of it, has contributed to all of our individual identities. Exploring the pains and triumphs of trying to reject or conform to those standards bring us closer to answering, what does it mean to be a man? Hey guys, gals, and non-binary pals, welcome to another episode of the Mansplain Yourself podcast. I am your host, Derek Lemos, and today on the podcast, I've got a fine gentleman. He is the other dynamic duo of the Daily Zeitgeist podcast. He is a comedy writer, very fine gentleman. He's a daddy, and we're going to get into some of that (laughs) stuff. Uh, Please welcome to the show, Jack O'Brien. I was hoping for zaddy, but I will take daddy. Uh, Yeah, thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, how are you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. I'm glad to be uh, the Robin to Miles' Batman, you know? Well, I think on any given day, considering your guys' dynamic, like, it, it's, there's no, like, it's like, it's kind of a cowl trade-off. Yeah. There, I think, I think it's generally, I think podcasts have, like, that, these sorts of podcasts with host, co-host have generally developed a dynamic where there's person who tries to keep it on the rails mm-hmm. and then person who just gets to riff and have fun it just totally depends on the episode uh whether me the person who keeps it on the rails has to do more speaking or if it's just a a fun one and miles is able to go off in a thousand different directions but i think the show's better with him as as a batman and me as a robin personally well who's batman without a robin and oh my god He's really going. So the the entire recording of this episode, there's been a spider on my microphone, and he is just slowly making his way across the apartment in which we are recording, and I am just in awe of this little guy. How is he doing that? Is he on a wind drift, or what? what is happening? I think maybe with a fan. Huh. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I was saying before we started recording <laughs> that I, uh, in my old age, I, the, the older I get, the more... Uh, impressed i get by like certain things that are old man shit like you know nature documentaries and Mm. spiders and the sky uh i I talked about it once on the daily zeitgeist and people are like "Uh, i'm pretty sure you could hear when the mushrooms hit at this point (laughs) in the episode and i was like no that's actually just you you become more like someone on mushrooms the older you get and well you turn i mean it's a grandpa thing it's just like let's go out in nature (laughs) right if you if you say grandpa stuff with with enough energy, you sound like you're on mushrooms. I think <laughs> that's exactly it. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Um, I think that might be the mystery. If you're on mushrooms and you do grandpa shit, like and yeah. you are a grandpa, you just unlock the secrets of the universe. Well, because mushrooms tend to make you a little bit more circumspect about things, and like you know, in addition to making you like. I uh, I on one trip saw my mother's eyes in a bunch of paintings, which was weird, and I'm sure said something. About, <laughs> were they like, like judging you? No, no, they just they looked real pretty, but uh, but they were definitely there, and like the brush strokes, mm-hmm. and uh, but in addition to that, I, I realized like, oh, you should be a lot nicer to a lot of people. Yeah, because, call your mom and call your mom. <laughs> yeah, grandpa shit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> call your mom was exactly it. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> I love that. All uh, right. So I like you have been you have been like somebody who's been working in the comedy field for a very long time, mostly doing writing. So like you were the co-founder of Cracked. Yeah. Um, I used to visit that website every day. Big fan. Oh, um, awesome. So how did that like how did that stuff get started? Yeah, so I was a producer at ABC News for the show Primetime with Diane Sawyer, and I was with a bunch of, you know, really talented people whose main passion was the news. Like, they were, they would have conversations like, oh man, you talk about Peter Jennings in 87, but the real best season ever was Dan Rather, 86. I mean, the midterms that year, and I'm just like, I don't care about any of this. (laughs) So... My friend from college, we had started a humor, like, little zine together in college. He got hired to help relaunch Cracked Magazine, which had been shuttered in the uh, September 11th terror attacks, or actually the anthrax attacks afterwards. They were in that building in Mm -hmm. Florida that got shut down. And so it had been dormant for a couple years. And this guy bought it for... I think $100,000. He was a lawyer from Duke who just really wanted to kind of get in the comedy industry named Monty Sarhan. And he hired my friend to help him relaunch the magazine and they were looking for somebody to do the website. So they, I was writing for like college humor and stuff like on a freelance Mm -hmm. basis. And by freelance, I mean, I was not being paid at all. And yeah, so I just, I came over and started doing that. It was kind of, the magazine was the thing at first because, you know, as everybody knows, magazines are a growth industry yeah. that is t- taking off and will never fold. <laughs> uh, so it was like the website was just, you know, 30, 40% of my job and nobody else's. And we, my friend and I were just writing stuff on there that was making us laugh. And then we hired Jay Pinkerton, who is a really, really talented comedy writer. And like, that's where we were able to just publish the stuff that made us laugh. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the lawyer kind of had more of a focus on the, on the magazine side of things. And so he, you know, the, the website ended up taking off and, uh, like most magazines at the time, the magazine folded and we were acquired by a company and I kept doing that until we had a staff of like 30 people. Oh, Uh, shit. Yeah. I mean, what was it like running that ship? I mean, that's a lot of just like, oh, hey, here's this thing that you jumped into that just blew up astronomically. Yeah, it was actually kind of a slow burn, though, because I was doing it. My wife was in medical school and we were kind of moving all over the country. So like when the site for her residency for her residency, well, when she started medical school, like the early portion i i should know this lingo better by now but the like meta the school part of medical school she did Uh in missouri and so i was running cracked and like she was working around the clock so i just worked around the clock on on the website at that time and uh you know out of our kitchen and that's when the site really like kind of blew up Mm -hmm. but you know we just hired one person at a time and it was always obvious who the next person was just based on you know, the fact that they were already editing for us and doing a lot of really good work for us on a freelance basis. Yeah. Um, But then eventually, you know, our team was big enough and we were starting to do video. And so I needed to be out in LA where the company that owned us was based. So then, 
she got into UCLA for her residency. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, congratulations um, to her. Yeah, yeah. So she, so she finished with me? Yeah, yeah. So that was 2010. So we've been out here for almost 10 years. Oh, wow. And you, I guess I've been married for how for, long? Uh, since the 70s. <laughs> since 2008 so we've over 10 years oh, congratulations. we got married very young yeah yeah, yeah well, so you said you got married super young yeah pretty young uh-huh how old were you guys uh 28 okay yeah, yeah. we're both 28 27 actually mm. about to turn 28 yeah yeah we were uh you know we knew each other in college we met first year freshman year and we always had crushes on each other but never dated during college and then we ran into each other on the street in new york and yeah i i you know dated enough people to know that i didn't like spending a lot of time with like anybody else and then suddenly you know found somebody who i never wanted to stop spending time with so i was pretty confident right away Mm. that i wanted to get married and yeah just made sense because of kind of you know she was going into medical school and yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's really sweet. Uh, yeah. So, so one of our other guests, Jeff the Storm, really great buddy of mine. He he he's like a very persnickety person, and he said something on the podcast while he was here. He's just like, you know, it's it's like you find you find people in your life who are just like the least irritating, <laughs> 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 and you let them know, just like, hey, I appreciate you. <laughs> That's definitely true. <laughs> and then I also have, like, my best friend in the world is somebody who, by turns, I am, uh, you know, find very irritating and sometimes just think he's the funniest person mm-hmm. I've ever been around. So, um, yeah, I think that's true sometimes. But uh, there's also, you know, that, that that's the early stage. I always talk about how, like, rom-coms, they make it seem like the early stage of your relationship is going to be the difficult one mm-hmm. because of like all these artificial the misunderstandings. Yeah, and yeah, the yeah, overheard, yeah. I overheard you say something that made it sound like you bet that you could sleep with me or something <laughs> like that. And then it like, that's never the case. The truth is that, you know, the, you, you turn around and you've been in a relationship for three years and it's, uh, you know, great and lovely and you're totally in love. And then the hard stuff starts when you're, you know, married yeah making serious life decisions well yeah i mean she's you know she's trying to get her career off the ground you're getting your career off the ground i mean they're both you know like that is a not that is not an easy thing for either of you to decide on like okay how are we going to do this thing right clearly we love each other and clearly we want to work we want to see this thing through yeah but like logistically how do we do this yeah it was uh it was a lot of, I, I feel like it was a real crash course in like marriage and domesticity because mm-hmm. it was just the two of us in Missouri. We had like some friends, but not like super close friends out there. We had a, a house with a yard and, you know, I was, I had to mow the lawn and, you know, try and mm. act like a man who lives in Missouri would act and I was not good at it. <laughs> I got a I got a plug in lawnmower. Uh-huh. Uh one of those little <clears throat> electric ones. Right. So it's in Missouri it's seen as uh 
strange and unmanly if you get a push lawnmower uh, instead of a riding lawnmower. I got a push lawnmower that plugged into my house and was just walking around like vacuuming my yard with my lawnmower. <laughs> Everyone was like, what is... Like, huh, it's like I'm how's that working out for you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> One lawn at a time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, but it, it was fun. Got dogs, got... Uh, did, did the whole, you know, mm-hmm. married domestic life thing right away yeah well i mean it's it, it you know making the making that kind of ch- decision before your 30s and kind of jumping into it head first was was your family kind of because i so i'm the oldest out of all my mm-hmm. family or yeah. all my brothers and sisters and i'm the second oldest grandkid okay and so the the like expectation and the the responsibility was always kind of like put on me it's like you you're oldest you can babysit them or you you're oldest you can go and get a job right and so the first chance at like at not being mature or just not having that responsibility i was just, i took every single opportunity i could right and it sounds like th- there was a lot of comfort for you there yeah yeah and yeah it was Comfort. I mean, I would say that it kind of went against the grain, the mm-hmm. fact that I wanted to get married early. Like, I was still sort of a mess and, you know, drinking too much and uh, not being super responsible financially and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I would not say it was out of a sense of responsibility or anything like mm-hmm. that, that I, that I got married. Yeah. She, <laughs> she, she, she uh, took on a lot of a lot of me learning how to be a, a grown-up, yeah. you know, she, she got to be there for that. So yeah. she deserves a medal. I mean, cause that is, that is a, that's like a real thing that happens in a lot of relationships. Like I don't know how many of my relationships, like where I grew as a person because of, because of that. And like, there's so much, or at least we're not, we now have the language for it, like emotional labor that goes into like making us be the people that our partners see. It's yeah. Like, I know that there's this thing in you, but you just right. have all this other bullshit in the way. So if we deal with that bullshit, then you'll be great. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, it's, it's a complicated thing where I, I'm a, a conflict avoidant person. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I have a tendency to, go with the flow of, you know, a strong personality in my life. So I I had to, you know, figure out whether, you know, whether I like what which part of what she saw in me was actually me and which part was actually, you know, maybe her parents' idea of what a, yeah. a man should be. Yeah. My my wife is Korean and comes from parents who are from Korea and, you know, expect a law degree. And still, she we were just at her parents' house, and she says that they still marvel that I do okay without having a law degree or a medical <laughs> degree. They're like, wow. Well, it's like he does the comedy thing, and that's right. nice, but yeah. he eventually that makes he's going to go to law school. To, yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're just waiting for, for this thing to fall through and for law school for me to finally... Because I did. I took my LSATs. So I, I went a, a couple uh, steps down that road before I was able to kind of realize that that was just going to... I worked with enough miserable lawyers mm-hmm. who were writing comedy for us in their spare time to be like, that's going to be me, be me. I'm going to go to law school and then I'm going to like come back to the, you know, heads of cracked and yeah. be like, Hey man, could I write an article for you <laughs> for, in my spare time? So 
Yeah. I mean, uh, that does that does kind of speak to some of the sacrifices that a lot of people make because it's like, I, you know, we, we live in a, in a really fucked up capitalist system where like you need money to survive yeah and comedy pays you absolutely nothing like i don't think i don't think there's been a year where like i've had a net gain doing comedy in like the eight or nine years that i've been doing it right yeah it's it's crazy i mean she was right and her parents are right too like i've always had this i my dad's a basketball coach and he for whatever reason was never I think because he followed his passion like he was a basketball player and then went into basketball coaching and it worked out Mm -hmm. for him and so he was always just this a firm believer and just like go with your passion and you know the rest will work itself out and that is you know it it has worked itself out pretty well so far in my life, but that's generally not good advice. Yeah. Like, that's not, <laughs> follow like, your dreams yeah, is follow, not good advice. It's not good. always good advice, I would say. It's not always, uh, it doesn't always work out that way. And, uh, you know, and there have definitely been times when, you know, the the most fun route to, to go in a certain situation was not, always the the most responsible yeah Um, well that and like it's it's really easy to get caught up with other people who are like funny and dynamic and you know there's like so i I wrote this joke a a while back and it's like do you know what i would do what what i would fucking kill for to just be like a normal person who like didn't have to get this shit out right because it's like i would love to like go on a date with Susan who works at the bank and like go to Buffalo Wild Wings and then we're happy. (laughs) And just have like a normal, like a conversation that like she doesn't laugh at anything you say, (laughs) but that's okay. You're not not like, well, that was, that was a miserable failure. You're like, huh, we share some interests. Yeah. Like if I'm not, yeah. Cause it's like people don't understand. Like if, if for a lot of funny people, it's like, if I'm not entertaining you, I'm dealing with my own anxiety. Kind of like, I hope these people like me. I hope these people like me. I better make them laugh. Cause then people will like me. Yeah. And it's about like, it's definitely a, an addictive thing where like I need to seek laughter in my own mind, Mm -hmm. like as a release. And like, I, so I need to like establish some sort of, so like if somebody laughs, then I can start laughing and you know, it's, it's a, a two way street. I feel like to, to you, like, I, I don't know. I, I don't feel comfortable in, in that sort of, conversation with susan susan in particular i mean she's a drag but um yeah well yeah she expresses herself through her mugs <laughs> but but man some of those mugs are great <laughs> well yeah i mean we're because we're usually the ones designing them yes uh yeah exactly god some of the uh, reductress mugs are so good i have a i have a reductress mug at, what at work say? just having a moam with my cough <laughs> C-O-F-F, just just some aggressive abreaves, uh which which I fully appreciate. Um yeah, reductress is it makes me feel like a <laughs> like a somebody who would say a case of the Mondays, uh, because yeah, they're just there to provide the comedy. Uh, they're great. I, I really like reductress. Uh some of the writers who work for them have been on your show, like they're fantastic. Yeah. yeah. 
Anna Dresden was, we hired her at Cracked, and she worked for us for two months and then got hired at SNL, and now she's like one of their wow. big writers. But she, we hired her for, because of her reductress work. Mm-hmm. Was, was that ever one of your goals? I mean, because you started off in like news. Yeah, kind of, but like I, I have always been obsessed with SNL and TV and stuff like that. But um, I've always found it pretty rewarding to kind of combine news and comedy mm-hmm. in, in a way and sort of be be able to control like what I was writing about and what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I, there's nothing where there's no point where I was like, no, I would never, you know, pursue something like that that was like more established. Uh, that's just kind of the way things worked out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. Like, I I know so many people who like that is their pinnacle. Like, if if, it's yeah. like if I don't make SNL, if I don't get this job over at this production or at this like this high watermark, then I suck. Then I'm a failure. And it's like most of us are never gonna do that, right? Like, yeah. So you better find a mark that that works for you that won't leave you like a mess. Yeah. And I feel like I I definitely you know, judged my happiness and my success based on, you know, comparing myself to other people's careers. And yeah. I, would, I would like wince if somebody was like five years younger than me and doing something that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, always checking their age whenever I saw somebody do something <laughs> impressive to be like, are they younger than me? Fuck. Am I allowed to swear? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. But yeah, I, I feel like in the past... I've had like some pretty drastic changes. I stopped drinking. I had kids like four years ago, and mm-hmm. that's been pretty like a pretty big kids? change. Uh, two kids, two boys, uh-huh. a three-year-old and a one-year-old. Oh boy! Yeah, so I'm in it. Yeah, yeah, I'm on. I'm on borrowed time right now, just in terms <laughs> of my wife watching both of them while I'm while I'm recording this. You're going to go back and they're just the house is going to be in chaos. Yeah. She's just going to be like, "Okay, I'm going. So I need I'm leaving. You to help me." Yeah. But yeah, man, this is uh, how are you feeling about I don't know. I was as I was kind of thinking about the subject of your show, I was also reading, you know, the the New York Times has a front page story. Uh, this might date when we're recording it about about toxic masculinity and the and the mass shootings and you know, it just feels like it's a very important idea right now. The this whole you know masculinity and yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I completely, I completely agree with that. Like it. So, I mean, I I didn't want it to be. I didn't want the show to be like a topical thing, right? Because then you you run out of topics way too quickly, and right? You say you end up saying the same saying thing the same over thing. and over and over. Yeah. And I didn't want that. So it, it was more or less like I wanted to invite people on who are interesting and creative and just kind of showed like, hey, these are some of the decisions I made. These are some of the things that I've been through that like that parallel everything else. Right. I mean, because I do think that I mean, so I have been kind of candid on the show where like for many years in my early 20s teens early 20s like i bought it i was listening to adam carolla every day uh which is a warning sign uh, <laughs> i listened to a lot of adam carolla too in the early days of his podcast yeah i was listening to when i was well, too yeah, old when he was to, on the when he, he still had his radio show yeah it was i like right after he 
got fired from radio and started doing the podcast. I listened for probably six months and then I realized, oh, he has like this set. Like, I feel like I learned every story that he has mm-hmm. in his mind. Big. And I was like, okay, got it. And also his politics started getting somewhat. Yeah. I mean, well, that was, that was the thing. So like, it, it, so there was a radio station out in Los Angeles during that time that would play like his show. And then we also play like Tom Likas and they would play a couple of other, like I've come to, I've come to realize that morning radio is just garbage it is just a place for people to be like hey what about this thing hey what about this right. thing but in like a really shitty way because that's right. what they're supposed to do for first thought best thought yeah. yeah they're like they are they want to like say what we're all thinking but like some a lot of the thoughts that they're putting out there that we're all thinking are like the very first thought that you don't even like put more than two seconds of thought into it. Yeah, it's like, just huh. yeah, it's just like why are trans people get to do this? Why do black <laughs> yeah, people yeah, get to exactly. do this? That's all it is, and it's just like we're, there are millions of people who listen to that every single day. Yeah, and a lot of that, I think, it's just seepage. Yes. Yeah. And I, so with like in regard to like the toxic masculinity stuff, like that is that's kind of what I wanted to do to help at, at least push back on it. It's like, hey, look, not all of us are perfect. It is a tough time to at least acknowledge yeah. some of the things that we did wrong, but hey, there there are ways through it and right. here's here's some here's people who have figured it out. Yeah, absolutely. And I definitely don't think I figured it out. But, but you're on your I way. think having having kids has helped. Mm-hmm. How uh, so? quite a bit just i mean just taking taking me out it's it's actually tough to say whether it was that or getting sober that helped because they both happened at the same time Mm -hmm. but yeah just giving me more perspective and having a better sense of self i think yeah Uh, because i because i had to and also because i (laughs) because i had to to keep living i think was, was where i was at but yeah it's interesting. I was just, I was just like thinking about how like my my ideas of masculinity had like evolved, and I was like realizing this weird thing where my early <laughs> my early like structures of masculinity. Because I think in one of the past episodes I was listening to, you guys were talking about like which comic books had affected like your mm-hmm. ideas of masculinity. And I was like, all of my like heroes that I defined myself through were like Rocky, the Karate Kid, and like a lot of my like the underdogs, the underdogs, but people who were like constantly getting their ass kicked <laughs> for some reason, like just like and I and a lot of like my my like masculine fantasies involved like getting the shit beaten out of me mm-hmm. for like until like I could come back or something, but. I, I don't know what that is or whether that was like a very specific like little pocket of like the 80s but mm-hmm. I mean yeah there were I mean that's that was kind of a a quintessential part I mean that is that's every Spider-Man story right that's yeah, every that's Spider-Man true. story yeah you have to like get you have to and I was wondering if it's cuz it's something that's occurred to me a lot lately as I have like kind of come into I guess adulthood mm-hmm. way too late, but you know, like started to have a perspective on things as I do feel like when the women I know are more alive to their surroundings and more able, like they have a fuller like palette of 
like colors to to work from when mm-hmm. it comes to like engaging with the world around them and e- even into adulthood and i you know I, another thing like through therapy and you know getting sober and all that like that i've noticed is that you know throughout my life a lot of the things like Basically, I had, like, anger. Mm-hmm. I, I felt comfortable being angry and, like, not angry, <laughs> like, com- confident and, like, happy and, you know. But the, that was, I think it was somewhat defined by just, like, you know, what I, what I saw in movies. And one of the only stoic masculine ways that you can experience like it, I think it's like those movies about where like the karate kid gets beat up by a gang of motorcycle ninjas, uh, <laughs> uh, and and a girl likes him for it is uh is what witnessing somebody experience pain and in a way that's like masculine that like he's he doesn't cry mm-hmm. or you know that there's like. There's something about that that's like reaffirming maybe this idea of masculinity that's just like stoic and you can take punishment and you don't cry or, you know, because yeah. I was like, a, I was a sensitive kid when I was younger. And then at a certain point I was just like, well, that's not allowed, mm-hmm. you know, so. And was it, do you feel like it was more like the schools you were going to and the, and the kids that, 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 you know, were teasing you for it? Yeah, probably that. Yeah, I was I moved around a lot, so I was like the new kid a lot. Yeah, and, that's hard. Uh, yeah, yeah, getting hit and crying immediately <laughs> from it, and you know, and crying like during a basketball game or something like that was just so something that I had just like through osmosis gotten the idea. Yeah. Okay, that's not it's a weird- that's not how you act like a guy in yeah. a way that will attract women i think was well, like it's a weird circle thought. like yeah when you're when you're like a kid you're like ah it's just a game it's whatever but like you know we watched the super bowl and there are like grown men weeping yeah and we're like oh man they're just so dedicated to the yeah. game like i don't know what mark that is where it's like it becomes okay again right yeah i mean so i was very sensitive you know my dad was a basketball coach Mm -hmm. and my mom's dad was a basketball coach. So I was like this vortex of, I should be good at basketball, like basketball expectations. And my dad was like, no, you don't have to play basketball. Don't worry about it. But just like, you know, through osmosis and being very sensitive, I, I always took basketball like very seriously. And it was like, I had a, had a job from the age of like, seven mm-hmm. that like i had to do I have to be and then i wasn't very good at it so, that, <laughs> so it, was a, it was a tough learning experience from early on and i think that kind of gave me a chip on my shoulder for mm-hmm. or like made me kind of guarded yeah. against you know yeah well you had talked about uh, you had talked about like being comfortable being angry yeah was it part of was it part of that like well this thing that i feel like i should be doing and i'm not good at it like it's not working out the way that I expected it to that kind of anger or like, I think it was just that that is, and I wasn't like a very violent kid. I was kind mm-hmm. of like cowardly, but I just, you know, when I thought of like what I should do or like, you know, when I had the esprit de escalaire, where I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that, but uh-huh. like the, like when you leave an argument yeah. and you're and like, then you're what like, I should have said. Yeah. Yeah. Like the things that I wanted to be were more like, you know, people who, 
I, I think I was heavily influenced by movies, you know. Yeah. So, and really, the only acceptable, like, other than maybe like John Cusack in a couple movies mm-hmm. in the '80s, there weren't that many '80s movies where the guy used words mm-hmm. to like solve his problem, or you know, it was it was all being stoic, not using many words, and or at least the ones that I paid attention to, and then you know, violence. And anger, yeah. like those were kind of the only, and I, I think still like a lot, a lot of it is just like that. That's like this masculine ideal of, you know, those are the colors you get to paint with, and I think that informs, you know, some of the stuff we're we're seeing with with, you know, what why it's always men doing these mass shootings, is because like when you get to a point of hopelessness, that's the one thing that you know culturally like has some some sort of value some sort of currency mm-hmm. to the point that they made rambo about it <laughs> oh my god yeah i mean the first yeah the every rambo after the first one it's like did you did did you watch the first one right, <laughs> right. but again the first one is him getting just punished mm-hmm. for which for some reason i think witnessing somebody experience pain and not react was like part of this ritual of like masculinity that I was like fascinated by. Cause I couldn't do that. You know, I, I was, you know, I was a crier. I was like a sensitive kid. And, um, you know, so that was something that I, that was like really important to me, like the Rambo movies, the Rocky movies. And yeah, I, I think, and then the way that he ultimately responds is to, you know, w- with with violence and with like over the top, over the top, yeah. insane violence. And now, like the the news has examples of people doing that, and I, th- I think that has entered sort of the cultural lexicon of, you know, what like what Rambo was to me. I think. Elliot, whatever the fuck his name is, the uh, shitty kid from the California school who mm-hmm. shot all those girls for not sleeping with him, like mm-hmm. that has become a figure for some people in in like online communities. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, the. I mean, I I don't like using the terminology because it kind of validates what their experiences is. But for for labeling sake, they call themselves incels. Yeah, and and yeah, I mean, like I bought into to being a nice guy for a number of years. Yeah, and and it was it was a lot of cultural conditioning where I felt like you know, or at least you're taught. And it's the same thing with pickup artists. It's the same thing with with all these other. I mean, it comes down to like we we aren't conditioned to talk about things, to talk about feelings, and we all want to be romantically involved with people. And it's like I don't have the ability to be charming or be funny. Or I mean, I've kind of I've kind of said this before. Like like the the big problem with nice guy stuff is that it it, it puts so much emphasis on like. Well, you're nice and the world is mean and cruel and other people suck. So right. like you'll be this beacon if you're just like nice and polite. And it's like, no, that's not how that works. Like y- nice is just a baseline for for humanity. Yes. Yeah. And you, on which you can build on top of. It is the cultural or the social contract on which our entire fabric of existence is built. Like that's the first thing is you have to be nice to each other, but 
um yeah there there's some point at which i i definitely when you said that on a past episode i identified with that there was an article that one of our writers christina Shu, who now has a different name has since been married but uh she wrote this article about you know questions guys ask about women that are just very stupid mm-hmm. <laughs> you know have like she just answered them and one of them was like why don't nice guys get girls and that that was kind of her point was that like it's the easiest thing in the world to be nice like you just have and you can pretend to be nice so that's just the baseline yeah and you have to demonstrate other other things to to you know be attractive well it's like we all enjoy people who have things going on for them right like like dating in itself is fucking difficult doesn't matter what city you're in doesn't matter what country you're in like it is a difficult thing to to have a stable romantic relationship yeah but at the same time it's also like there are there's opportunity there for you to discover things about you what right. what your interests are what you're all about like besides all the shit that you like besides all the stuff that you're into i mean th- that took i didn't figure start figuring that stuff out until maybe 27 28 29 yeah where it was just like if i take away all of my records if i take away all of my comic books if i take away everything else what do i have who am i with everything with all of that gone right and do i enjoy that person and if i don't what do i need to do to say yes yeah yeah i mean in sobriety they say building self-esteem by doing esteemable things Mm -hmm. and i i feel like that's kind of i don't know that that was a revelation to me for some reason yeah uh only what way too late into my life Mm. but yeah, it's a it's a learning process. There's this Toni Morrison quote that I heard about. Um, you know, I, she passed within the past week, and uh, it was something about like people who have to make other others get on their knees to feel tall have a problem, and white people have a very serious problem, and I, that really resonated to me specifically with regards to white men mm. like coming in just thinking about just thinking about uh you know structures of masculinity and like it it feels like you know the the people who are doing these mass shootings are all white men and also the people who have had all the advantages for the past <laughs> uh you know forever mm-hmm. in this country well do, i want to ask like does it i mean because uh, like anytime there is a like a terrible act of violence like i do know that that like me internally like i have this like please don't be brown please don't be brown please don't be brown like i just have this like just i'm crossing my fingers and hoping that no, you know that uh, that they won't be talking about me for yeah. the next two weeks because if one person does it, then we're all terrible people. Yeah. I'm at a, I used to be, uh, more, more like worried about whether, it, you know, a- after September 11th, I was immediately concerned cause I thought there was going to be 
a religious war. Yeah. You know, this was this like some of the things that ended up happening. I, I had a feeling like that there was going to be a there was a situation where that things could devolve in that direction, and I, some in some cases they have. And I, I feel the same way after a mass shooting. Like I, I also have the please don't be brown. But at this point, it's like it really seems like it's an endemic mm-hmm. like white male thing like a, and every time it happens it's just like okay like what is it going to take for us to look at what it is to be a white man mm-hmm. that is like causing this or um and i i mean i obviously don't have the answers but i i just think that there's it's kind of a lot of the things we've talked about, just not having access to, you know, uh, to some of the things like to an eloquent, like to a complete uh, set of emotions when it comes to how we engage with the world around us. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just, it's too easy to kind of stop at that version of, of masculinity that, you know that I think I, I had when I was growing up in the '80s when I was obsessed with Karate Kid. I think it all goes back to Karate Kid. I think we can blame <laughs> all, Daniel LaRusso. All, all points, per, <laughs> yeah, con, uh, converge on Ralph Macchio. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for sharing that, dude. I, I really do think that there's a lot to that, and I, I like the DGZ Daily Zeitgeist has some wonderful politics. Um, I don't like you have this, you have this, or you have this awareness of like of structures and systems and how they have kind of interplayed. That is not easy information to kind of digest. Like I remember when, you know, hearing about feminism and starting to kind of like pick at it and being like, well, well, we're already equal and we're, and all the other, and all the other shit. So I kind of want to know like, what got you past that initial kind of like, no, this can't be. No, I mean, come on. It's not really, is it? What do you mean? Well, I mean, I think there's like a questioning that most people have just because of like our certain levels of privilege. Right. That when you're, when you're kind of presented with this new, like, Oh, Hey, there's a, I know that the way I know that the way the world works for you, it works like this, but here's another way that it works on a bigger scale for other people. Right. And then there's, it's like a shock. It's like, no, there, no, no, come on. Yeah. So I, I knew that I wanted to, you know, bring some more diverse like backgrounds and opinions to, uh, kind of what you were talking about with the morning radio, like somebody who's, going through like a an institution that is going through the the day-to-day events the zeitgeist itself and you know not not just like first thought best thought but like actually giving you diverse opinions and perspectives on on what was happening and like how to make sense of that stuff and you know i did a lot of you know, I had the crack podcast for years before this one and felt like I learned a lot through, you know, research and reading and writing uh, for that and for Cracked and felt pretty confident that, you know, I, I could confront the zeitgeist in a way that was productive and constructive, but 
I, I just liked the idea of having new material to work with, like the challenge of every day there's a new story, there's mm-hmm. a new you know, playing field that we're going into that we're trying to make sense of using, like I'm, I'm just fairly confident in the progressive, progressive worldview that, you know, I've come to after doing a lot of reading and writing and, you know, research into, in my time at Cracked and, you know, Cracked also informed the Daily Zeitgeist in the sense that we ended up being a pretty white male, uh, writing team and editing team just based on you know a lot of it grew out of so david wong who is jason pargin uh was one of our main editors and he started this community uh that was like sort of an organic thing of just like-minded people hanging out and a lot of our writers and uh comedians came from from that uh community Mm -hmm. but because it was a self-selecting community, it ended it ended up being a lot of you know white males. Mm-hmm. Um, and I th- like at a certain point, I was like, okay, that is a deficiency that we had at Cracked. You know, after the whole team had come together, and one that I wasn't fully aware of. You know, as I was putting the team together, so you know, as Anna Hosnier was the first person I hired. She was the freelance producer on uh, on the Cracked podcast, and you know we we knew that like diversity needed to be kind of an important part of you know not just who we brought on to the Daily Zeitgeist, but just the entire network that mm-hmm. we built out because it ju- it just seems lacking in general. It seems like there's. I think the reason that pop the cultural structures of masculinity that we've been given are so limited to this point is that there's been a very specific group of people who've been in charge of making decisions about what gets made yeah. uh, up to this point. And so, you know, I, I wanted to br- bring some diversity to, you know, just how... It was basically a, a show that I wanted to listen to. Mm-hmm. Was something with not that wasn't just two white guys uh, talking to each other about the zeitgeist, but you know, ha- had some diversity. Yeah. So, uh, Pod Save America, but with, with but with a lot of spice in it. <laughs> yeah, Pod Save America with spice and uh, people who aren't, you know, <laughs> I think. John Lovett calls Tommy Vitor the human embodiment of a boat shoe, uh, <laughs> which I've always thought was funny. I actually went to high school with Tommy Vitor. That's so, funny. Uh, that is very funny. Yeah. Um, so as we're as we're wrapping up, we got a few minutes left. I I ask these two questions of all my guests. So you can be as specific as you like, or you can be as as general or vague as you like. It's totally your choice for comfort. Okay. First, who would you like to say thank you to for helping you become the person that you are today? Hmm. That is a good question. I'm going to go with my older sister, Shannon, because she is somebody who at every stage of life helped me keep a non-male perspective like at the forefront of mm-hmm. my mind and like helped me realize that my sensitivity was not only a bad <laughs> bad thing to be hidden and uh 
you know, and she also just taught me what was cool and, uh, you know, gave me uh, an appreciation for rap music when I was very young and was just a, a cool person uh, and let me sleep on her her floor in New York and when I didn't have a place to stay. And if I hadn't stayed in New York during that time, I would never have met my wife and I would never have my son. So mm-hmm. I'll, go, I'll go with my sister. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And then second to last question, uh, who would you like to apologize to for some of the mistakes that you made while you were still figuring it out? Oh, uh, my wife. <laughs> my poor wife. Uh, no, just, yeah, I, I think... You know, she's she's been there for a lot of the the process of me kind of going from um, self deluded kind of man like guy with a very specific idea of like what I was and wasn't allowed to mm-hmm. uh, feel and talk about and think to you know a slightly better version of that <laughs> and you know just without her patience you know and yeah i don't know i i would just i i feel you know we, we've kind of talked through this that's one great thing about recovery is there's like parts of the structural process of going through recovery where you you know talk talk through ways you've kind of fucked people yeah. over yeah so, was that 12 step yeah mm. yeah so that's that's been good but yeah i i don't think i can apologize enough i mean it's not like horrible horrible but i just you know owe her a lot yeah that's a well thank you buddy i mean i i can tell that you know for you it it's one of those things where like you guys have been together for so long yeah and really kind of seen the best and worst of each other yeah and having your children now uh being sober now seeing all of these things that that like have come to fruition over the last couple of years you're just kind of like oh man like we could have it could have been like this way earlier yeah yeah absolutely but at the same time you know it it takes what it takes Mm -hmm. is sort of how i feel about that because i I feel like i could drive myself crazy thinking about all the oh absolutely all the ways i could have been better off doing you know getting sober earlier being more aware of you know of what i was ignoring Mm. earlier Mm. Um, with your boys do you see like because one's three so he's his personality is already popping out yeah do you see like bits of you where where you're like oh man like i definitely i remember feeling this or i remember like this specific thing yeah, I mean the ways he's silly or that I see it there, but I also definitely see it in you know when he is experiencing anger and you know try, trying to help him deal with with anger in a way that's like constructive that that is yeah it, it's interesting because I was very angry when I was younger and I've, it's slowly gone away specifically like after i wasn't like angry when i was drunk but i was angry when i was drinking Mm -hmm. and sober and it's slowly gone away and i i don't totally have a 
have a full appreciation of like why that has happened, but it's definitely something that I think about a lot and that I see like it, it mostly came out of like a sense of frustration with myself. And I see that with him too, that he gets frustrated with himself and gets angry and he's only three. So it's, it's pretty crazy. And so it's kind of like you have these tools now and it, I just like, how does it feel just being able to like, give those kinds of tools to your children yeah i mean it's it's great it's mostly about like i did it parenting's hard it's it's hard to know how to give tools to a Mm three-year-old just because yeah because they're three they're just just whatever emotion is there that's yeah that's all that it is until it's another one it's like my main philosophies of parenting are like unconditional love patience and you know, not getting too caught up in things that, you know, if it's not going to hurt anyone, Mm -hmm. then like just kind of hope that they learn the lesson themselves, Mm -hmm. but not, you know, get too caught up if he doesn't do what I say or, you know, because that's, I don't know. And a lot of it is stuff that, you know, I had really good parents growing up and I still managed, (laughs) you know, not learn some of these things until i was in my 30s so we'll see hopefully you know some of the things that i've learned and continue to learn uh will teach me a way to give my son some tools that i didn't have when i was much younger yeah yeah well thank you for sharing that yeah thanks ma'am so if people want to like read any of your previous writing if they want to find your work how can they do that yeah you can find most of the stuff I've written up to this point on Cracked, and then uh, you can listen to me every weekday on the Daily Zeitgeist, unless I'm on vacation. Is there anything that you're working on right now? Yeah, we have a show coming out that I can't announce yet that uh, I'm excited about. The Will Ferrell, uh, or the uh, Ron Burgundy podcast just dropped uh the first episode of season two this week and you know that's that's a lot of fun that's been a really cool experience to be in the studio with him and you know culture kings and nerdificent are publishing uh weekly and just great shows with edgar montplacier jakees neal on culture kings and then iffy and danny on uh nerdificent yeah we had iffy on uh, a couple weeks ago yeah it was a great episode yeah i love iffy uh hi iffy so yeah (laughs) (laughs) so thank you so much buddy for coming in hey thanks for having me man and thank all of you for checking out today's episode if you enjoyed the days uh today's episode go ahead and give us give us a little give us a little shout out give us a little love do that rate and review thing that really helps us out also tell somebody about the podcast Tell like one person about the podcast. Be like, hey, you know what? I know you're having a hard time, so why don't you listen to this thing? And if you're feeling generous, if you can't, if you don't have any friends, but if you're feeling a little bit generous, maybe you got a dollar in your pocket, maybe you got a dollar in your bank account, and you want to throw it away. In the description of every episode is our PayPal account. These episodes cost money to produce, and Papa Bear's is poor, so uh, every dollar, <laughs> every dollar definitely helps. And you can find us all over social media using the hashtag mansplain yourself this week was a slow week because there were a bunch of violence so yeah i needed a mental health break but that's what the show is for so we can talk about that stuff all right that's enough of me rambling so we'll see you next week gracias bye
Mansplain Yourself is produced by Dr. David Robinson at Heaping Teaspoon, logo designed by Jorge Rivero, music by Daniel Holter. Follow us on Instagram or on Twitter at Mansplain Yourself Pod. <laughs>